And we will just go ahead and get started with a word of prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together as a body of believers. I thank you so much for each and every person who is here. Thank you for the love that we share for one another. I especially thank you for the love and grace that you have shown to us as uh, individuals and as a church. I just pray that we would uh, come away from this knowing you better, loving you better, and uh, ready to serve you more completely with our lives. And just uh, thank you for your word. And just pray that it and the Holy Spirit would, would do their work in our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I have a few uh, articles this morning. Begin with this one. Uh, things just get weirder and weirder as the days go by, <laughs> it seems. Uh, it's not slowing down anytime soon. Uh, this one is from Fox News. Uh, March 16th was the date on this one. Utah school gives kids disgusting insects to eat in class for climate assignments on cows killing the earth. And so the headline's bad enough, but a middle school in Utah, that, that's a pretty deeply red state, by the way, Utah, Utah's uh, Nebo School District gave sixth grade students uh, insects to eat last week as part of an English assignment on climate change, claiming it would save the environment from cows which were killing the world. This, these are quotes from the teacher killing the world, according to a mom who spoke with Fox News Digital. Uh, the middle schoolers loved the ooh factor. Many of them gave, uh -oh, many of them gave uh, bugs a try, and even a few staff members. Many thanks to our English teachers for creating fun and engaging lessons. The Spring Canyon Middle School said about the March seventh assignment. Uh, the pigs were, or the pigs, not, not pigs, bugs. <laughs> bugs were purchased from a commercial site that is safe for consumption, the district said. Uh, yeah, they, they have quotes in the article from one of the mothers who wasn't very happy uh, about the assignment in the English class, English writing assignment. Uh, yeah, here's that section of the article. The climate change assignment instructed sixth graders to write an argumentative essay. <clears throat> I don't remember writing too many argumentative essays in the sixth grade, uh, at any rate. But did not permit students to disagree. The only acceptable answer was that humans should eat insects for their protein instead of cows which are destroying the ozone layer with methane gas. Some students were given extra credit as an incentive to eat the insects. Uh, the mother complained my daughter wasn't given an option to give an argument in this argumentative essay assignment. Uh, and then the teacher said, well, the assignment was about finding facts to support. All the evidence has suggested that we probably sh that all the evidence has suggested that we probably should be eating bugs. It's good for the environment, but I didn't know that there that that was an offensive topic to indicate. Teacher Kim Cutler said, according to an audio recording. Uh, the 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 parent asked her, "How come we can't?" state our opinion and write that we shouldn't be eating bugs? And the answer was, because we don't have any evidence to support it. There's no evidence to support that we shouldn't be eating bugs. So at any rate, these kinds of things are, are going on uh, in your schools, whether, whether you're aware of it or not. So it behooves us to, to be aware and be ready, be ready for them when they 
when they do come if they're not already. And I I was going to show the uh, the whited out version of this, but it just you just don't get the full effect. And it, maybe it's zoomed out too much, but Blaze Media, March 17th, 2023. Uh, Biden's transsexual assistant secretary of health suggests America will soon embrace gender-affirming uh, mutilation of children. Wheels will turn on this. And this is the, the man. He's our, I'm not sure if you're aware, he, he I, I just can't call him a she, is our uh, Assistant Secretary of Health, uh, Rachel Levine, told a crowd of pediatric health care providers last month that he is optimistic that uh, genital mutilation and chemical uh, castration of children, euphemistically referred to as gender-affirming care, will soon be fully embraced. The Biden nominee spoke at a pediatric grand round session session hosted in uh, February by Connecticut Children's, an expansive health system catering to kids. Levine said, uh, Levine, the highest ranking transsexual official in the U.S. history, discussed gender affirming care, quote unquote, the long term impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and mental health problems suffered by American youth. Uh, by proactively engaging with the social and environmental world that defines our patients' lives, we can help them in terms of preventative care, acute care, chronic care, and other very impactful issues that affect our children and their families. And he goes on and, and tries to put the onus on people who are against this, uh, allowing uh, kids... Uh, very young kids, let alone under the age of 18, to determine without their parents' consent that they want to change genders and have it be done medically, uh, have surgeries to, to do these things uh, without parents' consent. And uh, it's flabbergasting. And they're trying to put it off on the idea that, well, these kids are going to commit suicide if you don't uh, do allow them to do this and the fact of the matter the fact of the matter is do we need the pulpit mic on is it not working at all I think it's on in the room but at any rate uh, I don't know what I was saying I, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you don't already know but uh, don't, don't allow people to try to convince you that, oh, these kids are going to kill themselves if they can't do this. It it's just doesn't make any sense at all. We would not have this kind of an attitude towards any other thing. If a person were uh, an alcoholic and they said, oh, I'm going to kill myself if I can't drink alcohol, well, you wouldn't give them alcohol. <laughs> you would try to, try to help them in their in their issue that they have that's causing the problem and and uh, these uh, people who have these mental issues uh, are some of the most unhappy people in the world not because they're uh, being kept from what they want to do <laughs> it's because they're being allowed they're being allowed to do what their darkened hearts want to do. And it, that's very, that's uh, the same for all of us. We're, we are the most miserable when, we, when our, the sin that's in our hearts uh, is allowed to uh, grow fruit, if you will. And so that's why we need God's Word and we need, to, we need Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that is offered uh, from him and to us as believers, even also, of course, we have uh, forgiveness available to us. We all need it every day, uh, all day long. We need to be forgiven of our sins, and, and he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us when we, when we go to him.
and ask and we can live in fellowship with him that's uh that's the key to the to the christian life there's another one a little bit different uh note uh continuing the good news <laughs> coming to uh coming to a state or province near you probably in the in the not too distant future march 11th uh, christian post headline says chinese provinces New smart religion app makes Christians register to attend worship services. Christians in China's populous Henan province are now reportedly required to register on a government, a government app to attend worship services and must make online reservations before taking part in worship, according to a report from a U.S.-based human rights group. The app called Smart Religion and developed by the Ethnic and Religious Affairs Commission of Henan Province, asks believers to give personal information, including their name, phone number, government ID number, permanent residence, occupation, and date of birth to receive approval to attend a service, China Aid reported this week. It's a requirement not only for churches, but also mosques and Buddhist temples, states the group, which apparently that makes it okay. Uh which documents religious persecution in China and supports Chinese prisoners of conscience. Uh, Henan has one of the largest Christian populations in China. Local Christians say the cumbersome application procedures have reduced the number of believers attending churches. No kidding. According to the Texas-based non-governmental organization, many elderly people and those less tech-savvy may find it challenging to access the app. However, officials say people will be assisted. Uh, once allowed into a place of worship, believers must also have their temperature taken, the group said, uh, commenting that the app may be related in some way to COVID-19 restrictions. So we experienced a little bit of that in America uh, a couple of years ago, it's hard to believe that was that long ago, but it was, uh, with governments using as an excuse the, the COVID-19 pandemic to clamp down on churches and people in general, and China just taking that to a whole nother level when it's very obvious that China wants no part of, of Christianity. But uh, I've read reports that, that Christianity... Uh, people believing in Christ is is flourishing in China, and that there are uh, a number of believers. I I pretty sure the number I saw was fifty thousand believers a day in China. People new people trusting in Christ, and that that would certainly be pretty uh, pretty amazing if it's true. And I think that probably has something to do with the uh, the new app that you have to sign into to be able to go to church on Sunday. Incredible. And obviously, uh, this, this kind of thing makes us think about what we're studying in Revelation and the complete control that the one world government will have over society uh, in the coming future. And it's probably going to be something along these lines. We'll play play a role in that anyway. Here's one from, last one from the Wall Street Journal uh, this past week, March 16th. It's an opinion article, but it has, has some facts to back it up. I'm sure you've all heard of the, the bank collapse that's going on. Uh, the, big, the most well-known one was the Silicon Valley Bank that, that uh, had a run people... Uh, wanted to get their money out of it. And just so you're clear, the bank, it, it wasn't like a, a mom and pop bank like you and I would go to and have our paycheck direct deposited there. The average, uh, average account holder had over $200,000 in this particular bank. So it was primarily a bank for businesses. And oh, by the way, Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley is in California, headquartered in San Francisco, this bank was. And so they, uh, believe it or not, were very involved in uh, investing in venture capital 
kind of initiatives that had to do with green energy and all of these kinds of uh, investments that they're not probably not mentioning very often on the CNN news reports and these kinds of things. These banks that are failing, I'm, I think nearly every one that is uh, of recent, recent failings are failing because they have invested very heavily in things like solar panels and all of, all of these initiatives that have come, come down the road. Anyway, article says, uh, one on, a headline is one entrepreneur says the bank was offering basically subprime business loans. So we remember 2008, the subprime housing crash giving home loans to people who couldn't afford the loan, couldn't pay for the loan, had no intention of paying the loan back. That eventually <laughs> collapses when you do that too much. They're doing the same thing with these green energy initiatives. Entrepreneurs or people who just want to get the money uh, say they're going to invest it in these uh, things and they have no intention of paying the money back. How is it, the article says, how is it that the Treasury, Federal Reserve, and Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation could have been spooked into a premature all-depositor bailout following hysterics on a social media platform? Uh, and that's kind of the narrative is that Twitter is to blame uh, for this bank run. Uh, and it goes on, if the government funds it, they will come. That's an overlooked storyline in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. If Washington wants to point figure, fingers, it should aim the biggest digit at itself because part of Biden's Inflation Reduction Act is massive government investment in these green initiatives. And so this bank is here to uh, funnel the money from the government out to people, and, and it's basically already coming home to roost as a complete disaster. Uh, and this Silicon Valley Bank, I saw another article that said that they, they had also donated 73 mil, they donated $73 million to Black Lives Matter uh, two years ago. They're invested in over 1,500 companies that are solar panels and batteries and all of these things that are only, simply only exist in America because of government subsidies there really isn't there really isn't a market uh for these kinds of things kind of like why tesla's having to i don't know if you've seen that they're having to lower their prices uh because people don't want their cars because the infrastructure whatever the reason is people don't uh, want their cars in the number that the government wants them to want their cars so they have to have to subsidize it and the latest bank collapses are are part of that. I uh, just thought you might want to know that as the world also, as we've read in Revelation, know in Revelation uh, in the end times, the, uh, the one world government and the Antichrist through the work of the false prophet is going to have complete control over the monetary uh, system, which is that which we can conclude from that that there's, go, there's obviously going to be some kind of uh, monetary collapse that's worldwide and unprecedented, and they'll take advantage of it and institute uh, these measures for our own good. <laughs> it's kind of, it's a, I, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but that seems like a pretty likely scenario. So with that, let's go to the book of Proverbs and learn how to live in a world that is completely against us, 100% against God and against uh, a, an understanding and an uh, application of His Word. And so we as believers need to be against that. We need to use God's Word and uh, have it affect, affect our thinking and I can hardly think of a book that is, that is more aligned with that idea than the book of Proverbs. It, it's just uh, refreshing day by day to read the book of Proverbs and, and try to incorporate these things 
into your life, you're going to you're going to find if you do that, you will find yourself acting more and more like a Christian. Even though Solomon wrote this 3000 years ago, uh, a thousand years uh, before there was such a thing as a church. And nevertheless, it is still very, very applicable to us. And as I mentioned last week, sometimes it seems like it's more applicable to us today than it was to the people 3,000 years ago when he, when he wrote it. So chapter 4, we've kind of applied it to uh, parents raising their children, how to raise godly children. And we've seen these uh, various lessons in this that will, that will help parents to raise godly children. But of course, these uh, principles are all very applicable, applicable to each and every one of us in our, in our daily lives. And today we'll look at the idea of being persistent. Persistence is something that, that we need in uh, many areas of our lives, and particularly our Christian lives. Got this definition of persistence. I think it's the New, New Oxford American Dictionary. I'm not sure which one it was, but it says persistence. A firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Doesn't that, that sounds like it's right out of the Bible. Like it's directed towards Christians. We all need persistence. I'm not sure about you, but I've noticed that living the Christian life takes persistence if we are living it as we should at any rate, because after all, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.17, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And when you're under persecution, you, one of the, the main uh, attributes that you need is persistence. There are a number of, of examples of that from prisoners of war in particular and in World War II. I've read about the, the prisoners in Vietnam. And one, one man in particular uh, was remembering back, they did incredible mental feats while they were held as prisoner for years and years. One uh, in this particular book that I read, one man said that he built an entire home in his brain from and did every step of the way. He did it as if he were building this house, dug the foundation by hand, laid the brick, put, made the entire foundation, nailed every board, and built an entire house in his brain. That takes persistence to be able to withstand that kind of thing. Another, another man was thinking, remembering how his uh, wind sprints at football practice and how difficult that was, and it taught him to be persistent as he was enduring, <laughs> enduring that kind of literal torture. And sometimes our lives feel like torture, like we're being tortured. And uh, it takes persistence to, to carry on and live for the Lord in spite of those conditions. And so we, as these uh, men in POW camps had learned from their life experience to be persistent, it's a good idea for us as believers to teach our children this same quality that they need to be persistent. Not only should we be spurring them to seek wisdom, imploring them to stay on the right path over and over and over as we, as we love them, it is our desire to see them be on the right path. And a lot of times that takes persistence to, uh, for, uh, for us to teach them and for them to and for us, as, uh, just as believers, to stay on the right path. It takes persistence to be able to do that. It's very easy It's very easy to go off the path. Do you ever notice that when you're driving down the road and you let go of the wheel? It's very easy for the car to drift off. It doesn't, when, it goes, when it's left to its own devices, it doesn't really stay in the lane, let alone when, uh, when there's a turn in the road uh, unless you have a Tesla or a self-driving car, it doesn't stay in the lane. You have to, you have to help it do that. Very, very similar to the way life is. 
takes attention for us to stay on the correct path. Proverbs 4.20-22 through 22 says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their body. Solomon uses this phraseology quite often, particularly in these opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. If you remember, the first ten Proverbs or first nine Proverbs are kind of uh, have a theme to them. And then as we progress into the book, later in the book, we get more the traditional kind of proverb that we think of, but he, we've seen this phrase, give attention and incline your ear several times, uh, which is a good indication to us that, that this isn't a uh, just put it in neutral kind of thing in life. It has to be active. You are active in your Christian life. God just doesn't do everything for you. He doesn't... Uh, we can't we cannot have the excuse that oh you know the holy spirit just hasn't convicted me in that area of my life yet there's nothing i can do about it i, I just this is just who i am and god will deal with it when he can so i can just continue in my sin there's no such thing as that that's not that's not an excuse well it's an excuse but it's not a valid excuse and that's why we have to give attention to these things and incline our ears to them. And that's demonstrated very clearly in the Hebrew language that they have different, uh, it's called Hebrew is an inflected language. Uh, and that is just a, a fancy term to say that the words written have and spoken have particular endings on them that tell you exactly the tense of the verb and it's part of speech and all of these various aspects of language uh, that give us a very clear understanding of what God is communicating to us. And so one of those for verbs is that they have several different stems to tell you the kind of action that this is. And one of, and one of these is the hifil imperative uh, here, which means that you are playing a role in this. You have to do the action. And it's an imperative. It's a command from God that you have to be the one who is doing this. And as I mentioned, we've seen this before, Proverbs uh, 2, 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. This is the part that you play in this. And notice back in Proverbs 4, uh, Solomon says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. The word is what is being, that is the thing that we are having to turn our ears and our hearts to. Uh, the saying, the things that God is revealing to Solomon and he is now uh, revealing to us. The word is essential in our lives as believers. We cannot be sanctified without it. There is no such thing as a revival without God's Word. And uh, notice that Solomon isn't singing it here. He's not getting the band back together to inspire his children to uh, be better believers. No, he is teaching them spoken word. And in his case, from God to his sons. He is being uh, directed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down for us. This is God's, God's word to us. And we see the essential nature of God's word and, and for revival in particular, and for people in their daily lives. In the book of Nehemiah, the ladies are studying Nehemiah. A couple weeks ago, they talked about uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, one of, personally one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, when Ezra stands up before the people after they've gone into the land and they've rebuilt the walls. They've uh, started the rebuilding of the temple, and they have a revival service where Ezra stands up behind a wooden podium 
kind of similar to what we have here, and reads God's Word to the people. And it has an incredible effect on them. And they have teachers in, in, in and amongst the crowd to interpret it for them because he's reading in Hebrew and some of these Jewish people didn't even know Hebrew anymore. They'd lived their whole lives in Babylon, so they need someone to interpret it to them. As, as Ezra is reading, and the Word of God has a powerful effect on these people. And it can have exactly the same effect on us if we will allow it to do that. James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, notice there's some action there. You have to put these things aside, filthiness and wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Both first and second phase of salvation, that God's word is able to save our souls, to justify us and to sanctify us. <coughs> Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, indicating to us that the book of James is about sanctification primarily, the second tense of our salvation, because we're supposed to be doers of the word. And we know that salvation is by faith alone and not by works, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, is even indicated in the book of James as well. Uh, James 1.22 again, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not mere, merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. See how God's word is very essential to this entire process? You know, if we just live alone and uh, aren't studying God's Word, and uh, we can think that, well, we're pretty good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not all that bad. I'm not mean to anybody. I'm not murdering anybody. Yeah, but you're by yourself. You're not, you're not with other people. You have to put these things into test to, to the test when you're around other people. And if you don't have God's Word, you start to compare yourselves to others, and typically you're going to, pick someone who's worse than you to compare yourself to, and you'll be thinking, ah, I'm okay. I'm not like that guy. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm all right. But if you look at God's Word, it's like looking in a mirror. You see yourself for who you are when you look in the mirror. You, if you're properly understanding God's Word, you see yourself for who you are, a, a murderer, according to Jesus's words, if you hate someone, if you even think about hating someone, you are the same as a murderer. And uh, you're a liar. You're immoral. You're this. You're that. You're every one of these things. And if you uh, look into God's word and then you forget those things, I don't care what that says. You're like the person who looks in the mirror, sees yourself, turns around, walks away, and forgets what you look like. That's James's point here. And so we need God's Word to show us where we fall short of God's standard. God's, and so we have to give attention to these things and incline our ears uh, to them in order to be sanctified, in order to, to change. And God's Word is absolutely essential for that. We need to be filled with the word. Don't let it depart from our sight. Verse 21 says very much like Psalm 1 2, uh, David, uh, Solomon's father, wrote Psalm 1. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This is speaking of a godly person. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he thinks about it day and night. Psalm 63, 6, very much, very much the same. 
And we need to guard it in our souls. Uh, second half of verse 21, keep them in the midst of your heart. The heart here is being representative of, of, our, of our being, who we are. We, we as American or Westerners, typically think of our mind as, this, uh, as the center of who we are. Hebrews, a lot of t- or Hebrew people, Eastern people will think of the heart, their, their guts sometimes you see in the scriptures. Uh, same, same kind of idea. We need to have it in our, in our minds all the time and uh, be filled with it. And the word is life and health. It says there in verse 22, speaking of these sayings of Solomon or God's word is the implication, verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. God's word is, brings us eternal life if we trust in the things that we see there. Obviously, it's not uh, we're trusting in Christ and what he did for us on the cross to receive eternal life, understanding we can't do enough good works to cover up our sins, to be right with God. We must trust in the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And for us, we find these things in God's word. So we're trusting in his word for salvation, uh, eternal life, if you will. First John 1, 1 says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete we have eternal life in the word of life who is christ and it's recorded for us in in the bible in his word and with his word uh, we also have health we also have a healthy spiritual life as we walk with him daily a sanctified life this is what uh, solomon is getting at here in this poetic language this life and health. Yes, uh, being obedient to God's word can lead to a, to a longer life and a healthy life and all these kinds of things, but that's not, that's not the, the entirety of the point that Solomon is making. He's talking more about spiritual uh, things here with his children. It's spiritual life and spiritual health. And of course, the word does both of these. First Timothy 4 11, Paul admonishes Timothy or inspires Timothy, encourages Timothy in his uh, life and to teach the things that he had learned from Paul. 1 Timothy 4.11, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, notice what Paul wants Timothy to do. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Those are the three things that Paul tells Timothy he ought to be doing in his church as the the pastor of the church. Public reading of Scripture, exhortation and teaching. Oh, that we would do the same in the modern church. Verse verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Obviously, uh, indicating the 
second tense of salvation there when he says you'll you will ensure salvation he's speaking of sanctification paul knew very well that timothy had trusted in christ he knew very well that timothy was uh, teaching a correct gospel or spreading a correct gospel to the people in his church he knew that they uh, were hearing of salvation by faith alone in christ alone and so he's moving beyond that and now we need to live in the in the present tense of our salvation walking in the word uh, paying attention to the public reading of scripture exhortation that's uh, encouraging correcting people all of those kinds of ideas are contained in that word exhorting exhorting people to walk with the lord uh, under the proper motivation uh, i i love this slide more and more every time i i put it up here for you he's uh, the walking the proper motivation looking forward to christ coming again he's not looking back here at the cross making sure he's doing enough to keep himself saved he already is saved and he's pressing on waiting for christ to come again for him at any moment that's the motivating factor in the christian life and we see that over and over that's why it's mentioned every time uh, paul talks about the second coming of christ he's exhorting people to live for the lord because he's coming again and so paul wants timothy to teach these things to the people in his church move beyond uh, salvation eternal life as we would uh, classify it and move on to salvation in your present life living for the lord that's that's the entire uh, point here being motivated because christ can come again for us these are the things that we need to pay attention to as a church and as individuals and especially as parents raising our children verse 23 of proverbs 4 watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you we need to be teaching our kids our children to watch their heart watch their mouth and watch their eyes and oh by the way <laughs> it's not just true for our uh kindergartners that we need to be teaching them these kinds of things this is true for of course each and every one of us and it takes persistence to uh be a a guard and to uh, guard these kinds of things in our own lives put a guard on your heart is the first step watch over your heart with all diligence that word for diligence there is kind of like a uh it's used in other places as a prison as holding as holding someone being a guard watching over uh the city or or whatever it may be that's that's that term for diligence it's uh hebrew language is is very poetic and and wonderful in many regards it gives us these word pictures uh, when we see it uh, in English, you know, we just have, oh, diligence. Well, <laughs> a, a picture would be nice. It takes a lot of diligence to be, to be a, a guard in a watchtower uh, through the middle of the night. And that's the, that's the word picture that is put here. And this is the, the kind of diligence, the kind of persistence that it takes in the Christian life. We need to have these guards over our hearts particularly in the times in which we are living according to peter second peter three seventeen, uh another one of my favorite chapters of the bible second peter three looking to the end tells us some things about uh, the end times the way the world's going to be in the end times there's going to be scoffers saying that christ isn't going to come again and these kinds of things uh sounds a lot like the times we're living in today Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 17, You therefore, because of the, the world we're living in and who God is, that he is, he's very long-suffering, wants people to be saved. Uh, that's why he isn't coming again, because he wants people to be saved. 
And so we need to be persistent in the meantime. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It takes diligence to live in this world that is absolutely opposed to us and more and more it would seem every day literally turning to Satan openly, uh, worshiping him and his uh, anti-God ideals. Uh, It's going to take some diligence for us to live in a world like that. And so that we are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. See, we're, we're learning one, one way or the other. We're learning. We're either going to want to learn God's word and apply it to our hearts, or the world is, is going to teach us. Uh, that's, that's the only two options. And uh, you could just say, well, you know, eh, I just don't even care. Guess what? Satan is wily enough to be able to teach you uh, and infiltrate your heart, your mind, your thinking, whether you, uh, whether you want it or not. He's going to do it anyway. And our hearts are very important, a very important thing to guard because from it flows life. And again, a, a, an incredible word picture here because our physical hearts, yes, they, life literally flows from our heart throughout our body. That's why our hearts are very important. And when it's not working right, we don't have a lot of life in us as people in our, in our own church uh, have experienced. My dad can hardly walk from here to the, can't walk up his driveway because his heart isn't, isn't working right. And when it, gets, when it gets corrected, then he can live life again. Very similar to the spiritual aspect that Solomon is talking about here and that Christ talks about Luke 6:45 the good man out of the tre- out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good and evil the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart so as believers we need to be guarding guarding our hearts to ensure that the correct uh, thing is going into it and uh, what flows out from our mouths is directly tied to what's going on in our hearts, hence the danger of the tongue, as Solomon points out here as well. There's a progression here, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, Next, put away from you a deceitful mouth in verse 24 and put devious speech far from you. Notice there as well that there's no, there's no contrasting in verse 24. There's no expounding on it. He just basically repeats the same thing because our mouths are a very dangerous uh, instrument within our bodies can create and cause a lot of damage for us personally in a in a group of of people this hence the admonitions in scripture against gossip and these kinds of things because it's so dangerous and can uh, just literally burn down an institution and people's lives as james says james 3 6 and the tongue is a fire the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell, James says in James 3.6. He goes on, verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And that's why Solomon says here, step one, put uh, away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. This is something that we have to uh, not engage in as believers. And it was the same for the Israelites, Exodus 23, 7. It's one of the one of the main, uh, it's one of the Ten Commandments after all. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie, essentially. 
don't make things up. Don't tell half-truths. If you don't know the truth, then just keep it to yourself. Don't say anything about the situation. Uh, Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 4.25. chapter, uh, The book of Ephesians, if you remember, the first three chapters are all about doctrine and these uh, wonderful truths of who Christ is, what he's done for us, what the church is. And these kinds of things. And then there's the therefore, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Therefore, since God is doing all these things in Christ for us, we ought to be living in a certain way. And if you remember the structure of chapter 4, he basically it's one of the few chapters that talks about spiritual gifts. Uh, and he emphasizes the importance of teaching in, in the uh, teaching and God's Word in our Christian lives, in one of the first areas of application, he says, we find in verse 4, or chapter 4 and verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The tongue is an incredibly dangerous thing that we need to have under control. James gives the example of the rudder of a ship, uh, uh, a perfect example. The rudder is very small, and with it, you direct the, direct the ship in the direction that it's going to go. Our tongue, our mouth is very small, and, and with it, we can direct the path of our life and the people around it, and so we need to have a very strong guard over our tongue, it needs to, uh, being deceitful and devious speech and these kinds of things is something that we as believers can have no part in. And also, we need to control your eyes. So, our heart is step one. What's flowing out of our mouths is the result of that. And also, our eyes are another inlet to, to our spiritual being that has to be controlled. Uh, as it says, verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and with all your ways and all your ways will be established. The eyes lead directly uh, to the heart. As Jesus says, Matthew five twenty-seven, the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, if, you, if you're just living by yourself and not paying any attention to God's word, you could be like the Pharisees and say, well, I, I, haven't, com I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't committed adultery with anyone, and uh, so, you know, I'm good. Of course God's going to let me into his heaven. I haven't done any of those things. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, I, you're sort of missing the point. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her. If your right eye, verse 29, makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell, showing us the importance of how our eyes lead directly to our hearts. Verse uh, chapter 15, verse 19 of Matthew, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. slanders. The things that we are looking at affect our, our heart and our, and our thinking exactly the same way that what, as our uh, our heart needs to be guarded. This is the reason why our heart needs to be guarded because it's uh, so very easily, uh, it's so very easy to get around the walls of our hearts if we will allow it because it's right in front of us. It's our eyes. I mean, you literally have to close your eyes to not, to not see uh, some of the things that are right before us, particularly in the 21st century. So we need to be looking straight ahead. We need to be focused on the, on the uh, path that is being lit by God's Word. 
and not looking in the other areas away from God's word and things that are obviously contrary to it. And this, this too takes persistence. Notice the, the pattern or the process of sin, James, James 1, 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The first step of that is, is looking, seeing it. And so there's an answer in God's word. We find that in the first book of the Bible written. Isn't that interesting? Job, the book of Job when you understand that it is the oldest book of the Bible, there's a lot of information that God is uh, revealing there for us. And we as men need Job 31.1 very, very much. It says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? If I, you're married to someone, how you make a covenant with your eyes so that they are straight ahead, focused on the thing that God has for you, your wife. You're not looking at other women. That's what Job is saying there for us. You're not partaking in that in any way, shape, or form. We need to be have control over our eyes, and we need to be teaching our, our kids to do that. Very quickly, verses uh, 26, we need to, verse 26, Proverbs 4, watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Pay attention to your actions. That's the same. uh, You have to be looking to where you want to walk to be able to walk in that place. That's what your focus has to be on. And this is a PL stem for the for the verb there another command to, to do this. And this one is even more more of you have to be the one doing this than the Hifil stem that we saw earlier. And if you do that, uh, your path will be established. You know, we are not robots that God is, is directing. He just flips the switch and, and we walk down the right path and, and everything uh, works out the way it's supposed to. And, you know, if God, if God just doesn't have that uh, area of obedience for you, well, it's, it's kind of his fault. That's what Adam tried to do in the garden, if you'll remember. Blame shift. Oh, God, you gave me this woman, and it's, it's her fault. It's not my fault. We do the same thing in our lives, and God tells us in his word over and over, no, that's not an excuse. You have to be the one paying attention to your path. And so that tells us, you know, don't, uh, don't be a robot going through life, thinking that everything is great. You've got to be paying attention to the things that you are, you're doing. Uh, engage your mind in, in this life, and your path will be established. Psalm 119.5, David's uh, prayer was, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Well, keep your eyes focused and and it will be before you. It will become more and more obvious. Uh, Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Same kind of things. Pay attention to the spiritual tools that God has given us. His Word, prayer, fellowship with Him, communion with Him. Pay attention to those things, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. According to God's Word, this isn't me, it's Paul saying it to us in Galatians 5, and you need to keep your focus straight ahead. That was uh, uh, it, drill team, I remember, in, a, in college, ROTC on the drill team. You had to walk in a straight line, and, and day one, the, the, uh, our, our uh, leader tells us, you, know, you have to pick something in front of you and look at it and walk straight towards it. That's how you, everyone will stay in a straight line if we do that. If we keep our focus straight ahead, focused on something, you will walk in a straight line. It's the same thing in the Christian life. You have to be completely focused on godliness and God's Word, and you will be able to, to walk on that path. And we need to be pressing on, forgetting what is behind, like Paul says in three, chapter th- Philippians 3.12 and 16, 
forgetting what's behind doesn't mean sin doesn't have consequences of course it does but we but as a believer don't be mired in that press on towards what god has for you now being motivated by the rapture of the church first corinthians 15 50 through 57 very clear description of the change that will take place at the rapture of the church instantaneously change given an immortal body caught up to meet the Lord in the air, will be with him forever. Death now has no part in our lives. It's been conquered by Christ, and he will fulfill that for believers in him at the rapture of the church. And, and then, so what? Well, the so what is verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing your toil is not in vain. That can be very hard for us to, to understand that in this life because uh, oftentimes it feels like it's in vain. But it isn't. According to God's Word, it is not in vain to, to raise your children for the Lord and it takes persistence and they need to be taught about persistence and what as well and you can model it to them by being persistent in uh raising your children to be godly let's go to him in prayer dear heavenly father we thank you for this word i thank you for the book of proverbs and the tremendous truths that we have here just pray that we would live them out each day moment by moment trusting in you we pray in jesus name amen <laughs>